Today is Wednesday, October 11th, 2017. Time for episode 30 of the Barnhart Podcast. Sometimes being in the church militant means we take meaningful cues from the training of the armed forces and apply those to our spiritual life. For example, in an infantry-like situation, if you're ambushed, the proper response is to immediately return fire and counterattack if possible. The simple logic is that once the attacker becomes the attack, they tend to stop attacking. This is something St. Ignatius lays out clearly in his spiritual exercises, that the devil ceases his attack as soon as he sees a spiritual counterattack. He wants you to fall to his tricks, not to learn to become immune to them. And speaking of manfully resisting an attack, we've got some more things to say about the recent attack in Las Vegas. Anne, what have you been learning about this incident since the last time we discussed it? Well, once again, super kudos to um, Carl Denninger over at market-ticker.org, who is one of the most reliable sources of information on the web. And and his his analysis is always very good. And also, he's he's done a really, really good job over the years of assembling, weeding out, and getting a really good group of people who are commenters. He's really aggressive with the ban hammer. He doesn't tolerate any crackpot, schizophrenic nonsense. So his his comment threads are always worth reading. Um, and once again, yesterday, you know, he he kind of put it all together. Absolutely infuriating. Um, we have, in fact, and and a lot of people are saying this is why the the Las Vegas police department in all of these press conferences and everything just had a really, really frightened look in their eye as they were speaking. And now we know why, because they were just, they were in fact lying through their teeth from the opening moments of this thing. Turns out, turns out that this security guard at Mandalay Bay, Jesus Campos, I think is his name. um, Jesus Campos um, got shot in the leg before before Paddock even started shooting out the window. In fact, six minutes before Paddock started shooting out the window, at 9.59 p.m., Jesus Campos comes up to that hallway to apparently check. There was a sensor that there was a door ajar or something like that. He goes up there to check it out. Um, apparently, Paddock sees him on one of the remote little cameras that he had put on a food, on, on a food cart or whatever, Um Paddock has driven screws into the frame of the door all the way around to keep it from being um, to keep it from being uh, broken open. And there is I've also seen some reportage that maybe one of the reasons that security was deployed up there is because other guests in the hotel called down and reported that they were hearing really loud noises of a drill, which would have been Paddock drilling these screws into the into the jam of the door. So compost goes up. Paddock apparently sees him coming, unloads 200 rounds through the door of of his um, hotel room into the hall, shoots Campos in the leg, but doesn't doesn't kill him, doesn't debilitate him. Campos obviously immediately reports this with his walkie-talkie to, uh, you know, the security center in Mandalay Bay, also then apparently hobbles to a a hard line in-house telephone and then calls it down on the hard line telephone. So they know exactly precisely where Paddock is and that he's just unloaded a couple hundred rounds 
we have an active shooter situation with someone who is heavily, heavily, heavily armed. And they knew exactly where he was at 9.59 or 10 o'clock. And Paddock didn't start shooting until six minutes after 10. And so, I mean, uh, we'll put the link up, go over and just read Denninger's summary of all this. And really, most of what Denninger is doing is just quoting, you know, the Reuters reportage on all this, where now the, the Las Vegas Police Department is fully admitting all of this. Um, and so once again, once again, we have another example of SWAT teams basically just playing dress up and putting putting on their very macho, very manly gear and uniforms and then cowering in fear and not engaging. This is what they did at Columbine. This this is absolutely endemic in our society. And, and what I really like that Denninger does in his piece is that he opens up with um, three or four anecdotes of just incredibly heroic actions of civilians helping civilians, um, uh, uh, retired military or off-duty military helping people. Um, he brings to attention the fact that there's uh, there was an off-duty military guy who basically um, hot-wired or, or I don't know if he hot-wired it or if there were keys, but... He, there was a truck and he started, he loaded people into this truck, which was not his and, and hauled them out of there and got them to, um, either a hospital or a staging area. And they're, they are considering, they are considering charging this guy with grand theft auto. It's just, it's incomprehensible. I mean, if, if that were my vehicle and someone didn't use it in a situation like that, I would be despondent. The, the notion that it could even be entertained, that you would charge someone in a situation like that with Grand Theft Auto is, is just a further testament to how completely and totally far gone this culture is. But Denninger reports on these acts of, of heroism people shielding other people with their own bodies and some of them dying for it, um, using themselves as human shields and then getting, getting picked off by paddock, um, and on and on. He opens with that. Okay. So there, there absolutely are good, decent people who are, who are capable of just doing the right thing. I think the word heroics is is really overused in in our culture. Um, there are certain situations where if you are a decent, normal human being, you're expected to do things that this culture would characterize as quote unquote heroic and and above and beyond the call of duty. Actually, it isn't. It's just you being a decent human being. If you can help someone, you're expected to do that. If if you can, e- even if you, even if it involves enormous risk to yourself, even up including risk of death, there are certain situations where that that is nominal. You are expected to do that as a human being. Um, but it's 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 very edifying to read these and to read that there are still decent human beings who will do the right thing. Now, back to the cops, apparently not the cops. there there is such a a dearth of of courage, which again, not meaning to to sound like a broken record, but it goes back to narcissism. It goes back to two things. It goes back to narcissism, and it goes back to the fact that in this post-Christian culture, 
people have lost sight of the end of man. And I think that we we talked about that in the in the last podcast. And there's a fancy Greek word for it that's used in, you know, schools of theology and so forth. It's called telos, T-E-L-O-S, the end of man. What is the end of man? Since this is a post-Christian culture, most people don't understand that the end of man is either heaven or hell. And so they become obsessed with the idea that, their end needs to be, um, you know, something something dramatically heroic, like what what is seen in the in the movies, you know, like you're some sort of a Bruce Willis diehard character or something like that. And anything less than that is is un, is unworthy of them. In other words, I I can't die or or go into a situation where I where it turns out to be like one of these stupid Hollywood action action movie fantasies, which are completely unrealistic anyway, then, you know, that's not good enough for me because there's there's no sense of heaven or hell or anything like that. Everything is earthly. Everything is about what happens down here. And so um, the entire notion to modern man that it is the divine providence that you die being shot, charging a shooter, and the purpose that your death serves in that moment is so that the guy behind you can get four more steps closer to the shooter. And then maybe then maybe that guy goes down. And in the divine providence, the reason for that is so that the guy behind him could get another four steps closer. You try to explain this to, to contemporary post-Christian man, and it just it, it, it just doesn't even register. It doesn't even register that maybe the divine providence is that you fall, I mean, and I always think about it in terms of storming the beaches at Normandy, that you fall so that the guy behind you can step on your head and boost himself up over some sand dune or something like that to advance just a little bit further on the Nazis. The culture is so narcissistic and so post-Christian that these kind of thoughts don't even occur to people. And so that's why we have these guys who, you know, put on their SWAT gear and then just cower in the staircase and won't do anything. This situation reminds us, what you have to do when there's an active shooter situation, a musloid with a machete screaming and yelling, whatever it is, what you have to do, man, woman, it doesn't matter. You run at that son of a bitch as hard as you can. If you have a weapon, you draw it and and you try to discharge it in a, in a safe way and this is why we we go and we take firearms training this is why we do these tactical exercises so that you are used to the idea of looking at what is behind where you're shooting um, and so on and so forth and that you ha- and that your your brain is accustomed to operating on this level if you don't have a weapon, you scream and run at him as hard as you can. If you have something to throw, you throw it at him. You do you do absolutely anything to slow him down, stop him, distract him from shooting at people, you know, chopping people with machetes, whatever. 
Is it possible that you were going to get injured or killed? Yes. And in fact, in some situations, it's not just possible, it's highly, highly likely. And you have to be prepared for that and you have to embrace it. You have to embrace it. Oh, and just the fact that one person charges an attacker could be enough to change their mind that, hey, you know what? This person who just lost their life attacking me may only be one of everybody out here who's going to do the same thing. Maybe I should go uh, find something different to do right now. Well, not even that. It's just the the changing the dynamics going from a shooter being completely unchallenged and just completely at liberty to shoot and and spray in the case of in the case of paddock changing the dynamic just a little bit so that he has to stop he has to turn he has to focus on you he has to aim at you he has to shoot you and take you down okay in in the time that he has to do that because you're running at him as hard as you can, someone can then approach him from another angle, from behind to the side, you know, whatever. It it completely changes everything to distract and draw the attention of an attacker like this. But of course, what are we all what are we all told? Oh no, no, take cover, take cover, take cover. Don't expose yourself to injury. Exactly, totally, completely wrong. Totally wrong. Um, children, children take cover. Um, but adults, including women, something like this happens. You run at the guy, or you know, now with muzzleloids, it could be it could be women too. And as we made the point earlier in a previous podcast, if this is all, if this is preternaturally related or preternaturally influenced, don't be surprised if you start seeing women doing crap like this. But you have to engage. You have to engage them. You have to be willing to be injured and killed. But you have to engage. And you could potentially, you could take a situation that could potentially be dozens or hundreds dead and reduce it to just a handful of dead, which might include you. Okay, that's fine. I'm fine with that. That's good. If me charging a gunner can save dozens of lives, that that isn't even, I mean, there's no calculus involved in that. That's a no-brainer. Of course you do it. But not in this narcissistic post-Christian society. So this is something that we all need to be thinking about and working on. And I'm also, it's always very interesting to see how the the press and the New World Order and the Soros regime and the Bergoglio anti-papacy and all of, all of these entities that are working together, they are now trying to claim that anyone who has um, multiple firearms the multiple weapon systems in their ownership is now an insaniac potential mass murder like paddock, which is all the more reason why you need to go buy more long guns and ammo. Listen to what their rhetoric is. Listen to what they're trying to do. You can see what their entire agenda is. If you just stop and listen to them, they're also now, I saw this yesterday, they're trying to um, cast anyone who's a quote-unquote prepper as potentially a, a mass murderer like Paddock. Because apparently Paddock had, um, apparently he had some, some, some armor, some bulletproof vest, something like that. And, and that somehow got turned into anybody who's, who's a prepper, anybody who has any stockpile of any survival-based gear of any kind it, or food or anything like that. 
is also a just a mass murder waiting to happen. What does this tell you? You need to be stocking up and you need to be prepping even more. Okay, you don't you don't recoil when they when they start doing crap like this. You double down. You triple down. Because it's it's obvious what they're doing and who they're going to be going after. Don't let don't let it dissuade you. In fact, look at it and say, you know, this situation's getting very serious. They are going to potentially start trying to come after people just for simply having, you know, more more than a two boxes of ammunition, um, much less cans and cans and cans like so many of us have. Um, so, and don't, don't let it stop you. Don't let it make you afraid. I mean, I guess that's the overarching theme. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. And remember what the true end of man is. It's heaven or hell. And, you know, get getting shot by some guy like this and bleeding out or getting killed by some musloid in a knife attack or something. If, if that ends up being you, A, you can save countless number of lives if you act manfully and with courage. And B, the painful part is only going to last a very, very short period of time. Um, uh, just stop, stop worrying about things like that. If, if you die like that, it's going to be over quickly. So stop being afraid. In, in the um, church liturgical services, usually with the morning prayers, as a reading from the Roman martyrology, in terms of, you know, we're, we're not meant to get out of this world alive. And right. one of the best ways to go is as a martyr. I mean, you're, you're laying down your life for Christ. Now, obviously, uh, in a situation like Las Vegas, this is not a martyrdom situation per se. No. But it's still, uh, if you lay down your life to end the, uh, a shooter situation like this, you are laying down your life for others. And that, that's the second great commandment, to love others as you love yourself. Right. And it, this is also, it occurred to me while you're talking about this, this is a great microcosm uh, example of Las Vegas in a nutshell, all glitz and glamour on the surface only underneath complete depravity. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that kind of, um, segues into what you and I were, were chatting about yesterday, super nerd about, you know, we've all been sitting around expecting at any time for the video surveillance footage from the hotel to be released. Lo and behold, what does super nerd find and send to me yesterday? Sure enough, Sure enough, Las Vegas hotels do not have video surveillance cameras in the hallways of the hotel. And I it, instantly the light bulb went off uh, over my head. I said, well, of course they don't. Because people go to Las Vegas. A lot of people go to Las Vegas. In fact, this is part of their marketing shtick. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. People go to Las Vegas to commit horrific, horrific sins, oftentimes involving, obviously, the Sixth Commandment, cheating on their spouses, prostitutes, um, uh, men descending into, into sodomy and engaging in sodomitical acts, men who are probably married and hold themselves out as straight, but have now due to pornography or whatever, have now descended into homosexuality and are now engaging in gay sex. The fact that there are no, there's no video surveillance in these Las Vegas hotels is a feature, not a bug, according to the customer base of Las Vegas. These people who are going into these hotels and, and doing depraved things, 
they are consoled and they are looking and they are actively looking for a situation where there is no video surveillance and they won't be seen going into their room with the tranny hooker and there won't be any video evidence of any of this. That's why there's no video. Two things about that. First off, that was a reference to video surveillance off the casino floor. And I remain right. convinced that some of the most advanced facial recognition systems in the world are at the oh, entrances absolutely. to all Las Vegas uh, casinos because they are in the interest. They, they are very interested in not getting robbed. And anybody who is a card counter or a known cheat, they're going to be made the moment they walk in and, and security is going to meet them and walk them right back out the door. So in terms of do we know how wh- who actually walked into the hotel? Yes. But once they go into the uh, up into the residential section of the hotel, no clue. And that's quite on purpose. Well, I mean, if you ever have ever watched any of the documentaries about, you know, the gaming floor and all of that, they have, you know, those little black globes that are up in the ceiling. We've all seen those. There's there's cameras in there. And now the definition on those can the resolution on those cameras is now extremely high and they can they can zoom in on any seating position at any gaming table. They can get a face shot. They can see all the way down. They can see what's sitting on the ground next to the person. They can see um, in certain situations, they can see the person's cards when the person's cards are visible. They can see absolutely everything. They can zoom in, pan, all of it. You're right. On on the gaming floor, on the gaming floor, it's the most sophisticated in the world. And by now, I think you're absolutely right. I think the facial res- recognition thing, um, that technology is just is advancing by leaps and bounds, which is scary in a certain sense. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there are some of these um, really high level, super notorious card counters and and cheaters that they pick them up as they walk in through facial recognition technologies. But again, this this is the this is the the psychopathy of the entire gambling mindset. They care a lot about everything that's going on downstairs on the gaming floor. They, the upstairs, they don't give a crap. They don't give a crap. They don't care what's going on up there. They don't want to know what's going on up there. Are there, is there drug, drug deals being done? Is there pornography being produced? You know, this reminds me last summer. Some pervert, and I posted this, um, I posted, I transcribed and recorded and posted the the voicemails this pervert sent to me. Um, he, he, I don't know, you know, being on the internet, it's, it's perilous business, but he had seen me somewhere and he produced, he produced porn and he calls and leaves me this message about how he wants me to fly to Vegas, go to this and such place and make this um, make this uh, porn fetish thing. Um, we, we just won't even get into what what it involved. It was it was absolutely disgusting, absolutely disgusting, and just like nothing, leaves me this voicemail. So I, I this is this is absolutely fascinating. A lot of people, obviously, a lot of pious trad Catholics are, are reading this website. Um, there there's some strange people, but there's you know a lot of generally people of goodwill who really don't understand what it's like or have never really had any real encounters with a true psychopath. And to hear someone who is completely calm 
and speaks and speaks in in completely normal tones, very calmly outlining how he would very much like for you to fly to Las Vegas and a and produce a pornographic video with him um, involving me doing all kinds of horrible, twisted things to his physical person, and to hear someone just very calmly saying this and laying it out like it's no big deal just you know like this is just any other day any other phone call completely normal that's why i posted it so that people understand that these people walk among us they're everywhere they blend right in it could be the guy who's next to you when you go to the gas station and are pumping your gas could be on his way somewhere to to go produce some vile piece of pornography, child pornography. These people blend right in. They they don't walk around drooling. Um, they don't walk around obviously crazed. Th- these pathologies are are very internal and and outwardly subtle, and they blend right into the rest of society. And that's what's scary. That's what's so very scary. Um, and why you need to be on guard, especially with your children. You, you really can't, can't tell these people immediately just by glancing interactions. And I think in naivete, a lot of people think that you can, but you can't. So it was a very instructive thing. And then, and then we could go through the, trans- the transcript of what he said. I posted his name, his telephone number, his email address, his home address, all of this kind of stuff. And of course, he started getting some, shall we say, um, inquiries from uh, from readers of my website who were calling him to say, you know, what, what in the hell do you think you're doing? And then to watch the diabolical narcissistic response and see all of those dynamics. Well, it, it's not my fault. It's her fault. Um, I had I had absolutely no idea that she was a that she was a Christian Catholic woman. Of course, you didn't. You've been reading and trolling my website at at length and you never saw it any indication on my website of of any of any Christianity, which is where he got the contact information to begin with. Exactly. I mean, and so to, to watch them lie, it's not my fault. Deflecting responsibility, it's in fact, it's in fact my fault. And then the "I'm sorry if you were offended," the classic diabolical narcissist non-apology apology. It's in fact your fault. You're the one with the pathology. If you were offended by me propositioning you to come and um, participate in the creation of a pornographic video with me, if you have, a, if you Anne were offended by that, obviously the problem is yours. And I'm sorry if you were offended. The classic non-apology apology, but it's all it's all very instructive but my point of this was this was all in las vegas it was all going to be done in one of these high-rises in exactly the same way so yeah there's drug deals going on in these high-rises there's um there's porn of all kinds being produced and sadly what one has to assume is that there's child sex trafficking um sex trafficking in general people being taken up into spaces like this against their will this is where a lot of pornography is produced and in fact law enforcement i've i have read that they're they're doing a lot of work with interestingly enough creating a catalog of the fabrics that are used 
as bedspreads and draperies and wallpaper patterns and um, art that is sold. You know, the cheesy art that they have in the hotel rooms. That's all mass produced. And so one of the things that people who are trying to track down, especially child pornographers, are doing is creating catalogs of these fabrics, wallpapers, and this mass produced art so that when they come across this pornography, especially uh, child pornography, they can they can you know, search a database and figure out and get a list of the possible hotels that that might have been shot in based upon the fabrics and so forth around them, which is a really interesting way to go about it. But no video surveillance in the halls. So, you know, you should just remember that if you ever are unwise enough to go to Las Vegas again, don't don't think that you are under video surveillance in the hallways because you're not. Yeah, the New York Times article that I found and, and to which I sent you the link, they they listed out, I want to say it was like 23 or 29 hotels, and only four of them had any kind of surveillance yeah. off the casino floor. And guess which one was not on the list there? Mandalay Bay was not monitored yep. off the casino floor. And another point that that piece made is that they one of the reasons that they don't do it it isn't because it would be particularly expensive. I mean, that technology, the cost of that is just going down, 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 down. The reason they don't do it is because they they theorize that if they had video surveillance and something happened and they weren't monitoring the video sufficient to, for example, dispatch security to such and such and such a location that then the victims of crime would then have recourse to sue the hotel for not sufficiently monitoring their video surveillance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's weak sauce. I think, um, I think one of the main points of video surveillance is that the stuff is being is is being recorded digitally and saved and logged for a certain period of time precisely so that if something like this does happen it's not that you're going to intercept a crime happening in real time. I think more of the point is is that you go back after the fact and the video gives you evidence after the fact to see what the hell happened and who did what. I don't think anyone expects it very much to be a, a real-time intervention into stopping criminal activity from going on. But that was one of the points that that piece made is they, d- they don't want the liability. They say they don't want the liability of being held responsible. Uh, I, I don't think that's accurate. In my opinion, I mean, look at what's going on. NFL, finally, you know, I've been on this bandwagon for years now. Americans people of decency and goodwill need to just turn their back on this entire professional sports racket. Um, it's, it's a massively corrupt thing. It, it enriches and glorifies absolutely degenerate human beings, degenerates turn your back on this. And people are, people are finally doing that. I mean, there's serious talk about the NFL literally going out of business and fairly quickly people are turning their back on cable television People need to turn their back on Las Vegas. Decent, and I said this in the last episode, decent people, you just, you don't need to be going to Las Vegas. You don't need to be anywhere in that mess, certainly not on the strip. And I made, I made the point that when I was going to Front Sight, which I don't anymore, I don't even know if Front Sight is still open. I was trying to figure out if, um, if it's gone under yet because it was, the, the owner of it was a Scientologist and he was clearly just, dis- it was turning into a, um, what do you call that? I guess a pyramid. 
I guess it was, it was just descending into a, into a pyramid scheme. But the instruction and the instructors were really, really, really good. And the ones that I talked to and had, you know, not in-depth conversations with, they, they fully understood the dynamics of what was going on with the ownership and all that. They were just good guys. Most of them were ex-military who, who really enjoyed teaching people, wanted to carry, wanted to pass their skill sets along, wanted to help people and enjoyed their work and did a great job. And I kind of felt bad for them because you knew it was just a matter of time before the thing was going to go under. I don't even know if it's still open. But when I went, I stayed in Vegas, but I stayed off the strip. I mean, just done, done with the strip, done. Um, and I can't imagine at this point that I would ever go back to Las Vegas for any reason. I certainly have no plans to. I think this is going to raise a really interesting conundrum, not only for the reason you just said that uh, the, the casinos open themselves up to liability if they if there is video, but nobody's watching it and something happens, but also they open themselves up to liability that... Uh, they could be served with papers for discovery to pull all this information for pretty much any uh, divorce case where one of the parties went to Vegas. I want the video of their of of the the front their front door of the whole time they're in Vegas. And if it's a subpoena like that for in, in a civil case, they would have to turn it over. They might be able to charge a fee, but then that would uh, earn certain hotels the the name that uh, you don't go there if you want to be secretive. Well, the absolute majority of the hotels on that list, and these are top-end named hotels, uh, they didn't have the surveillance off the casino floor. Now, that was four years ago, and cameras have gotten a lot cheaper. Everyone carries an HD camera in their pocket these days uh, mm-hmm. in the form of a, of a smartphone. So it's possible that there is surveillance there. It's also possible that they have surveillance, but they're not admitting it. Um, it's like asking a software company, what do you do for anti-intrusion and uh, making sure hackers don't get into your system? You don't answer questions like that because you you would be tipping off what your strategies are and then clever attackers might just be the ones posing as journalists asking you that question say, okay, we have to focus our attack some other way. There is that possibility, but I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I, it, it doesn't look like it to me. And remember, this is, is Las Vegas's entire marketing advertising motto. Oh, what happens in Vegas nickname. stays in Vegas. Yep. Think about and the nickname, Sin City. Sin City. Yep, absolutely. I don't think they do. And I think I think one of the reasons why the SWAT team boys got all dressed up and then cowered in the stairwell is because there wasn't any video. There wasn't any video, you know, coming back in telling the the leader of the SWAT team in his earpiece that, you know, the hallway is completely quiet. You're safe to enter. You're safe to enter the, the hallway. You're safe to proceed. They sat there for, I think, almost an hour after um, Paddock offed himself. And now, uh, speaking of latest things coming out, one, one piece of of information, which it, 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 I don't know if it's information, don't call it that, but speculation is that in fact, Paddock didn't commit suicide per se, but that one of his weapon systems um, blew up in his face and that's what killed him. Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if we just never, if we just never know about any of this. It does seem strange. I don't know why there doesn't seem to be any reason why Paddock of his own free will stopped firing and then committed suicide because the, the SWAT team, you know, at first we were under the impression that the SWAT team was right outside the door 
and was getting ready to blow the door in. Um, and now we know, no, the SWAT team cowered in the stairwell for almost an hour or maybe a bit over an hour um, while while Paddock was already dead. Uh, not not buying any of it. It's just and th- th- I think this right here, this is why that the LVPD has just looked like deer in the headlights at every press conference because they were lying and they knew they were lying. Just such a lack of integrity. You know, if you don't want to say anything, don't say anything. You know, just say we're, we're not going to say anything until we put all the pieces together here. But they, they came out and they were just lying and they were lying to cover for their own cowardice. And people need to understand the cops and Denninger makes this point over and over again and his, his uh, commenters do too. The cops are not obliged to protect you. That They're not legally obliged to protect you. Um, their job is, is to clean up the mess, basically. Um, so you cannot expect the cops in any circumstance to protect you. If they do and they're heroic, and there certainly there are heroic cops and have been have been all along, certainly. But understand, as our culture degrades, as this all degrades, as these police forces just become dens of, you know, steroided up somatic narcissist madmen, which a lot of them are, um, I'm perfectly willing to have that conversation too. Um, with a lot of these guys, they're just they're just scraping the bottom of the barrel, and it's pretty clear. I mean, if you spent any time in a gym lifting weights at all, it becomes very very obvious very quickly who the guys are that are on steroids. You know, the big kind of puffy without any definition, huge upper body, and then just weaselly little completely un- undeveloped legs they stick out like a sto- like a sore thumb and a lot of cops look like that a lot of cops look like that and a lot of cops they're looking to have target practice on unarmed people this business of just shooting any dog that barks at them that's all that's all just roid rage cops just looking for looking for a reason to discharge their weapon basically um but those guys are the ones who will cower in the staircase shitting their pants while while 58 people get mowed down apparently for no real good reason other than the the abject cowardice of the las vegas police department yeah, what happens in Vegas, unfortunately, doesn't always stay in Vegas. This kind of depravity will spread around throughout society. It's not just isolated to that location. And Indeed. speaking of things that aren't exactly isolated to one person or location, uh, in the news recently, it came out that Harvey Weinstein is what a lot of people knew he was already, but it just wasn't national news. Uh, he likes to lord his power over anybody who is in a subservient and weak position. And Anne, you've written quite a bit about that general type of person. Yeah, it's uh, it's called diabolical narcissism. And clearly this Weinstein is a full blown psychopath. Um, so one of the alpha cased, um, I, I'm not particularly enthusiastic to sit around and talk about Hollywood. I mean, there's there's so so many better things to talk about. But seeing this unfold, it is such it is such a perfect example of diabolical narcissism, but most importantly about what I outlined and named in my diabolical narcissism video presentation, which we'll link to. I mean, it's a, it has its own page up at the top menu of, um, of, of the barnhart.biz website. But 
a lot of people are sitting and looking at this and saying, what the hell's going on? This guy was basically openly sexually assaulting and raping women on a near daily basis. All of these people seemingly knew about this. All of these movie stars, including some of some of the victims, the female victims of this guy, knew all about it, had been assaulted by him, and just nobody says a word. Everybody keeps kissing this guy's ass. None of this comes out. Hypocrites like... Um, Angelina Jolie, Gwyneth Paltrow, and especially that that poor, pathetic creature, Ashley Judd, going and holding her, herself out as this super feminist, blah, 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 while for years and years and years, completely hiding and, and by her silence, consenting to and perpetuating this psychopath, Harvey Weinstein, sexually assaulting and raping women just right and left and then this this judd creature has the nerve to go hold herself out as being this uber feminist i mean she's you talk about being a feminist you're selling these other girls down the river into the arms of a man that you know to be that you know to be a rapist and you, you, oh, you can't do anything. You can't say anything. Oh, because it, it might hurt your career. Um, little note to Ashley Judd. Um, the primary thing that probably hurt your career is when you started going to a plastic surgeon and having your face mutilated so that you look like a freaking monster. Why don't you start with that um, harming your career? And then ask yourself, well, if I'm already mutilating my own face so that it is painful for normal human beings to look at me due to my own self-mutilation, do you think maybe I should just go ahead and call a press conference at that point and let the world know that Harvey Weinstein is a serial rapist and sexual assaulter? I mean, really, Ashley, after the face mutilation, what more do you have to lose? Let's be honest. I'm sure that Dario Franchitti, your Formula One race car husband, could probably keep you in knickers and gin for the rest of your life at this point. I don't think that you need to be getting the movie roles opposite Morgan Freeman to uh, to pay the bills on, on the farm in Kentucky. Um, so, I mean, the hypocrisy here, it's, it's just... It's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. And what it goes back to is the whole notion of the alpha and beta case of diabolical narcissist. So the alpha case is much rarer. There are many fewer. There are far fewer alpha diabolical narcissists because these are the people like Weinstein, um, like the Clintons. Um, you can just go on and on and on, probably like like Bergoglio to some extent, um, who are full-blown psychopaths or sociopaths. They are aggressive, they tend to they tend to commit criminal acts. And what happens is then there's a case of beta narcissist, and there are there are throngs and throngs and throngs of beta narcissists in this culture. The school systems are are specifically looking to turn children into beta diabolical narcissists. Beta diabolical narcissists will seek out an alpha. They'll seek out a psychopath. 
and then attach themselves to that psychopath. And the psychopath can do no wrong. They will enable the psychopath in anything, including criminal criminal deeds, as we have seen now. There's a lot of people on the Internet now saying, my goodness, in a lot of these sexual assaults that, that Harvey Weinstein committed, female employees, female employees of him were colluding with him to get these young girls up into hotels or in, alone in meeting rooms or whatever. His female employees were assisting him in getting these women into the position where he could be alone with them and then either sexually assault them or rape them. Female employees were totally covering up for all of this and then all of these men as well. And it, what all of those people are is that they're diabolical narcissists too, but they're betas. So they're looking to attach they look up to, they admire, they admire psychopaths. And um, one of the points I make in the Diabolical Narcissism video is if you look at entertainment today, specifically this new wave of these very high production, high production quality television shows, almost all of them revolve around, glorify, and paint as the protagonist of the television show, a psychopath. It's the glorification of psychopathy. Why are these shows so incredibly popular? Because beta narcissists love to watch and admire alpha psychopath narcissists. Um, and that is exactly what is going on here. This this dynamic is everywhere. It's in the government. You look at the Clintons who are just carrying on and having people killed and Hillary's a dyke and, and Bill is, is screwing and raping just anything that moves. These people are the scum of the earth. They're carrying on basically openly thousands of people. Thousands of people literally know what these people are and could have at any time spilled the beans on the whole thing. Why don't they do it? Why doesn't anyone speak up? Why doesn't anyone call a press conference? Because they are the, the and it's interesting that it's beta and what it turns out being is a, a class of bureaucrats. It's the it's the bureaucracy class. Um, and obviously, Washington, D.C. is just filled with these people. And it's why I say it isn't simply enough to clean out the executive branch, to clean out, obviously, the Congress and to clean out the judiciary that that wouldn't even touch it because th the far bigger um, driving force that is enabling and facilitating all of this dysfunction in government is the bureaucracy, which is populated with these beta diabolical narcissists who are in, in it for themselves, in it for their own position of power, um, you know, climate, climbing the career ladder, careerists, and y you're going to have to break that whole thing. And that the population of these people is so large that it becomes it becomes a societal dynamic. It's a macro dynamic. Think how many millions of people work in bureaucracy just in the United States. How many millions and millions of people work in bureaucracy in Europe and you know just former Christendom? Um, 
you're going to have to completely repopulate in a sense that entire class. Well, now we're talking, we're talking about a macro level dynamic. We're talking about something that changes the entire culture, the entire society, because we're talking about so many millions of people with this loss of integrity and not ever willing to sacrifice anything, not willing to do the right thing. And even beyond that, luxuriating and relishing in it. And this is this is where it gets really twisted and and just really hard for for sane, normal, moral people or people who try to be moral to understand. Um these people enjoy being part of um being part of a clique, part of a group that revolves around law-breaking, immorality, bad behavior, so on and so forth. I I have an anecdote. I have a couple of anecdotes to illustrate this. Um, Looking at the church. Okay, so I've talked at length before about the, the criminal racketeering organization called the Legionaries of Christ. This is a this is a criminal racketeering organization that that operates within the Catholic Church. It uses the Catholic Church as its false front facade, the way that a mafioso in New Jersey, for example, would use a construction company or a dry cleaning operation or a restaurant as his false front facade to run his racketeering organization. The Legion of Christ uses the one holy Catholic and apostolic church as its false front facade. It has been wildly successful. It was founded by a psychopath, um, Marcel Maciel. And uh, Marcel Maciel was a psychopath. He was a bisexual, incestuous, bisexual, incestuous, drug addict, pedophile rapist. He, he raped his own sons. He raped his own children. Uh, he's, of course, he was a priest. Of course, he was a priest. He founded this entire racketeering organization called the Legion of Christ in order to uh, provide him with money, power, and sex. And he, and he was wildly successful. The last I heard, the total assets of the Legion of Christ was, nor- was north of $30 billion. $30 billion. Um, and this was all done in a matter of, of less than 50 years. What the, the one of the nicknames of the Legionnaires of Christ is, is the Millionnaires of Christ, because their specific racket is, is that they want to go in and recruit and create a new aristocracy, nouveau riche, particularly in the United States and Mexico and South America, where there are lots of millionaires and there's lots of millionaires in um, Mexico. In fact, the one of the richest men in the world, the telecom billionaire Carlos Slim is one of the top um, uh, what do you call it, benefactors um, to the Legion of Christ. Um, and so the Legion of Christ has been able to, to build this massive, massive uh, balance sheet power, massively influential in the Vatican. Um, they basically run, own and run the Vatican museums as a mafia. It's just massively corrupt. So um, Frank Walker on Canon 212 this summer carried some reportage about one of these 
priest of the Legion of Christ, this American guy called Father Thomas Williams, who was this celebrity priest. He would always go on American television whenever there was any, you know, NBC or, or CBS would want any commentary about things going on in Rome or the Vatican. They'd trot this Father Thomas Williams out from the Legion of Christ. He was one of the top ranking priests in the Legion of Christ. He lived with this this pervert incestuous pedophile rapist Maciel lived with him for years and years and years and years and years. And the reason he's so popular is because this Thomas Williams guy, and you know, you have to take other people's word on this because I think he, I think he looks like a, like a repulsive plastic fag. And it just, when you know, when you know how bad people are, it becomes impossible to regard them as being physically beautiful. But this guy is considered to be this dreamboat with this square jaw. And, oh, he's so dreamy and blah, blah, blah. Well, this guy, this Father Thomas Williams, is a complete fraud, complete con artist, operating at the top of this Legion of Christ. He's screwing people all over Rome, including, including the daughter of, guess who, Ambassador Marianne Glendon, um, darling of the neocon movement. So he's he's carrying on openly this affair with this this woman whose name is Elizabeth Lev, tour guide in Rome, and just by all accounts, this woman is just absolute trash, just an just just a skank, promiscuous, horrible woman. Um, but she's very powerful. She's very connected. She immediately, um, upon almost immediately upon moving to Rome, starts having sex with this Thomas Williams and falls pregnant, has his child, blah, blah, blah. It's an open secret. Now, here's the point of this story. So what the Legion of Christ would do is they would put on these junkets and they would recruit millionaires, American millionaires, Mexican millionaires, but in this case, American millionaires. We have this, this order inside the Catholic Church. It's exclusively for us, the elite, um, you know, so we don't have to mingle with the riffraff. We are this elite case, and we have our own thing within the church. You should join our uh, <coughs> racketeering cult, and you should give us millions and millions of dollars, and here, we're going to trot this, this very square-jawed plastic-faced, dreamy priest in front of you. And what they would do is they would throw these junkets in Tuscany um, where, you know, all the wine is made and everything. And so they would recruit these people to go on these junkets, um, millionaires, you know, they'd put them out in the best uh, five-star country hotel. And Thomas, Father Thomas Williams and his concubine, this chalice snatcher, Elizabeth Lev, together would put on these junkets called the spirituality of wine. I mean, you can't make this up. I mean, you're, you're start, start climbing, start climbing the ladder now. And 20 years from now, you might emerge in a trailer park in Southeast Arkansas. And these people are so lacking in self-awareness, they don't even realize how trashy and transparently trashy this is. So they're doing these things in Tuscany called the spirituality of wine. And so they'd have this fancy soiree and they'd wine and dine these people. And then, as this was as this was told to me by someone who I witnessed this, Father Thomas Williams 
and his open secret concubine, the chalice snatcher Liz Lev, would very conspicuously retire to bed together. And, you know, they would say, say their evening goodbyes in such a way that it was very obvious that they were retiring to bed <clears throat> together. The people would be left milling around and the people, some of the people would, you know, go up to some of the Legion of Christ cultists who are there, these beta narcissists, and they would, you know, kind of lean in and discreetly ask, um, excuse me, don't, don't mind me asking, but our father Thomas and Liz, you know, are, are they a couple? Now, wait for it. Here's the punchline. The Legion of Christ cultists would lean back in with a twinkle in their eye and say, well, of course they are. Of course they are. He's, he's so handsome. You, you can't expect that to go to waste, can you? You know, there, there's priestly celibacy in the church, but, you know, there, there are certain circumstances in which, you know, you, one just really can't honestly expect that to apply across the board. And then the Legion of Christ cultist would lean in and say, you're okay with that, aren't you? And there it is. It was the attempt and it was oftentimes very successful to recruit people in to this, this organization. And you can apply this to absolutely anything. Um, corporate America, um, government, uh, Hollywood, anything, anywhere where these dynamics are going on. It's this, it's this peer pressure, twinkle in the eye. You, you, you want to be a cool kid, don't you? Um, we're the cool kids here. We're the elite kids. Yeah, there are rules, but the, the rules don't apply to us. Y you want to be part of our cool kids group, don't you? You, you understand that uh, the, rules, the rules don't apply to us, and we're asking you to be a part, a part of our group. And it's a wildly successful uh, strategy. You can see, I mean, look, look at our entire culture is just built on this and revolving around this, this notion of you want to be part of our group, you want to be part of the elite. And these these people, these nouveau riche Americans who have no moral formation, who who are completely unchurched, they they see this and they find it to be extremely attractive so, I mean, th this is just, this is a, a fantastic example, and it kind of ties all of it, all of these ideas together. Beta narcissists, which a lot of these American nouveau riche would be, they're beta narcissists who are looking to attach themselves to something. This is how cults form. This is how Marcel Maciel became, founded a thing that eventually went to be worth tens of billions of dollars. Um, the cult of Bergoglio is very much like this. Government, how, how do people like Anthony Weiner, I mean, this guy was in Congress for years and years. How in the world does this guy even have a staff? 
how would anyone work for for just repulsive, repulsive trash like Anthony Weiner, the Kennedys, who would work for Ted Kennedy, who openly joked about the fact that he murdered Mary Jo Kopechny? Who are these people? It's the beta class of diabolical narcissists. The alphas use it use these dynamics as a recruiting tool, use it to suck people in, keep them in. And the people are there willingly, willingly, they're willing participants in this. They enjoy it. They relish it. The psychopaths, I, I think that the psychopaths probably get more of a rush out of watching people uh, of the, the alpha psychopath gets more of a rush committing the crime, but then watching the reaction watching people not say anything, watching people cover for them. Um, just the rush of constantly knowing that at any time, anyone could basically call a press conference and expose you, but nobody does. And every single day that goes by when nobody calls the press conference and nobody exposes any of this, the rush just gets greater and greater and the sense of power gets greater and greater and greater. I suspect that that's what's driving Bergoglio. Every day that passes that somebody, the Dubia brothers, anybody, any of these curial officials who I'm told are just crapping their pants in fear of Bergoglio, exactly like the SWAT team in the Mandalay Bay, cowering in the staircase. I mean, talk about, wow, talk about a, a, a perfect and yet so disparate an, a, a, an analogy. Analogizing the SWAT team in the, in the staircase of the Mandalay Bay to the Roman Curia, but it's, it's a perfect analogy they're just they're just sitting there crapping their pants waiting oh it, it's even better what are they both waiting for they're waiting for him to die they were crapping their pants in the hallway of the mandalay bay waiting for paddock to die just as the roman curia is crapping their pants waiting for bergoglio to die no one will do anything no one will charge the gunner no one will call a press conference no one will say anything ladies and gentlemen that is the overarching dynamic of how our culture how our post-christian civilization government business church everything how it's all being run well that's how it runs right now but we do have hope. Our Lady said that her Immaculate Heart will triumph, and at some point it's going to happen, even though it doesn't. It seems pretty dark right now. Yeah, and I think that I think one of the things that Our Lady said over and over again is she kept reiterating that right before the end, it's going to look like it's going to seem like it is just impossible, and it seems to me, looking at the situation now, looking at how thorough the infiltration is in all aspects of our culture. Like I said, church, government, entertainment. I mean, you you look out your window and if you're, or go to a mall or somewhere where there are people passing by and just think to yourself, what percentage of these people are, are post-Christian neo-pagans and what percentage of these people are people of goodwill who will who will respond to any sort of moral correction. And it's, it gets really scary really fast, especially when you look at young people in particular. Um, and it, when it seems like there's just no way 
no way that the situation could be turned around. She keeps making the point that it will be. It will be. And not only will it will it be turned around, but it will be better than it was ever before. It will be better than it ever was before. And um, I, I would like to live to see that. I would love to live to see that. Um, but then again, also, I'm also completely willing to charge, charge a machine gunner. So um, it's you have to just abandon yourself to the divine providence and uh, take each day as it comes and keep praying and keep a good attitude and don't give up persevere it's the fruit of the fifth sorrowful mystery our lord's passion and death on the cross fruit of the mystery is perseverance unto salvation so just keep going and keep praying and don't lose the faith but still fight and be brave and you you keep bringing up the topic of diabolical narcissism not for the purpose of of trying to wear people down but to I guess inoculate them in a certain sense that this is the dynamic at play. This is what you're seeing. Don't be disheartened by it. This will be conquered, but also don't think that there is no explanation for what's going on here. Certainly. And some of the most edifying emails that I receive these days, and I still get a steady stream of them are people who send an email and say, I just got done watching your diabolical narcissism video and thank you, you just explained, and then they'll either say, you know, you explained my spouse, you explained my parents, you explained my boss, et cetera, et cetera. People, uh, and a lot of people have been sending me emails for years and years and years saying, could you please write something or give some explanation about the origins of sexual perversion? You know, I, I have a child that is um, a, a faggot or, or a dyke or, you know, just a sodomite, a sex pervert or something. And the people say, we, I, have, I have heard absolutely nothing that puts any context explanation or anything to this. Do you have anything that you can say? And it wasn't until I was confronted with diabolical narcissism, started researching it um, in roundabout ways, had it kind of sort of explained to me, but even the people who were trying to explain it to me didn't really have the terms for it, um, and, then, and then found this explanation and found the explanation in secular terms, secular psychological terms, which you always have to be very, very careful with, because secular psychology is just, uh, it's from the pit of hell. And I cover this in the Diabolical Narcissism video. Secular psychology is basically trying to say that every sin that every person commits, they have an excuse for committing it. And if you have an excuse for something, that means you're not culpable. Therefore, it is denying Modern psychology, secular psychology is all about denying the very concept of sin. That should sound familiar because this is very much what Bergoglio is trying to do. Then you start researching back and you find all these intersections with uh, Freemasonry, Marxism, all of these dynamics come come together with modern psychology. It's all of a piece. It's all of a piece. And so... I keep pounding on this, and I say this in the introduction to the video. It's like, this is the last video I'm ever going to make. And the reason it's the last video I'm ever going to make is because it is the overarching pathology that that really explains just about everything. If you send me a question that says, you know, explain to me what the hell's going on with Harvey Weinstein or Vegas Shooter or whatever, well, that 
almost the answer to almost every one of these questions is there's there's a diabolical narcissism at play here to one degree or another. And we have an even super nerd and I we had on our agenda a couple of shows ago talking about the dynamics between Paddock and the Filipina girlfriend. And there's all kinds of evidence that, yeah, he, he was degrading to her. He was emotionally abusive to her. All kinds of people have said, oh, yeah, this guy was was no damn good. He was cruel. And you can just go down the line and, and tick tick the boxes, tick the check marks off. Um, he has other aspects to him that are that you would pick out so much. Uh, but then again, um, if you understand the difference between somatic narcissism, which revolves around the body and cerebral narcissism, which revolves around narcissists who are, are obsessed with their minds. He's clearly, uh, Paddock was clearly a cerebral narcissist. He was one of those guys who could, you know, he could do math in his head really, really quickly. He had those kinds of talents. And he would just, you know, lock himself in his house and just sit and play video po- poker. I think one, he gave a deposition in a lawsuit he tried to file. And I think that he openly admitted that he played video poker generally for 14 hours a day and, and up all night. He would be up all night playing video poker and then sleep all day. One of the things he said is, um, I don't do sunshine. Someone asked him if he ever went to a pool or something like that. And he said, no, I don't do sunshine. So there are indications there of, of cerebral narcissism. But Again, it, it's it's not the kind of thing. This guy wasn't doing anything that would merit him. I don't think he was doing anything or it hasn't come to light that he was doing anything that would merit him being arrested or anything like that. And and that's that's kind of the scary thing about all of this. And um, you, you just can't. You can't defend entirely against things like this. But it is true that these things are going to continue to happen. Um, as preternatural oppression continues to grow, especially in in former Christian lands, North America and and Europe, first among them, who have actively rejected God, actively explicitly rejected God, and now especially in uh, well, it's also in Europe because they just dedicated some tunnel in Switzerland to to Satan or something like that, and their satanic. Uh, satanic monuments going up uh, allegedly protected by by the first amendment um black masses going on which people claim are protected by the first amendment when you have a nation that is actively embracing satanism as as ours is you can only expect this stuff to to increase there really isn't anything you can do to defend against it um but as we open the show with you need to Arm yourself, prepare yourself, and be ready to respond properly, manfully, and in and in in charity when something like this happens, and be ready to die. Um, especially those of you, I, I worry so much about churches. Especially churches are such a soft target because you know you walk into a church, everyone is completely calm, relaxed, and has has their back to the door. Everyone has their back to the door. Um, in, in my opinion. Churches should be posting men, um, call them ushers, security guards, whatever. They should be posted at the entrance doors to the church 
and they should be facing towards the door. They should have their back to the altar and they should be watching the door and let it be understood that they are not assisting at that mass, that they are working and they should assist at another mass so that they can then focus on the holy sacrifice and so forth. But you need to take it into your own hands and churches need to start taking responsibility for this stuff and get eyes and and hopefully um, weapons. Hopefully people are concealed carrying to mass. I mean, I I totally conceal carry to mass. No problem. After I burned the Koran, um, I, I was told I was, in fact, told by the, the Lone Tree Police Department, do not leave the house unarmed. And I said, no, sir, I never do. I'm always armed when I leave the house. Everywhere I went, including to mass, I was I'm I'm armed. Um, so. Um, yeah. And don't Jeff forget armed. your spiritual weapons too. I mean, St. Padre Pio, he said, he referred to his rosary as his weapon. Uh, the scapular is your armor. I mean, these, these are spiritual metaphors, but they are real at the same time. The spiritual life is real. The spiritual world is more real than the one we see with our eyes. And if you mm-hmm. don't see that, then pray about it. You, you'll eventually have that, that, uh, made, made manifest to you. Indeed. Indeed. And start doing it now. It's what, what, what was it that you said last week, super nerd? Um, it's later than we think it's later than we think. And it's not, oh, well, I'll, I'll start thinking about that maybe next year or something. No, you need to, you need to think about this stuff right now because no it is later than we think. You have no guarantee you're going to live to see the sunset for crying out loud. Get yourself in mm-hmm. order now. That's right. That's and on right. that happy topic, uh, the Diabolical Narcissism DVD is still available. The link for purchasing that is on Anne's website. In fact, it's on every page. If you're on a full, yeah. <laughs> full if you're on a full website or a full browser on a, on a desktop computer, it's on the right hand side. If you're on a mobile device, it's at the bottom. If you'd like to send questions, comments, or feedback about the podcast, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is produced by me, Super Nerd. And if you found value in this episode and would like to return some value, you can donate at the website supernerdmedia.com slash donate. I'd like to thank a couple of recent donors, Carlos and Sally, as well as, as well as William, who cut out PayPal by mailing a check. You can do that, too. A uh, general reminder, Masses for Ends Benefactors are set on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, as well as a weekly requiem. Please join your intentions with these Masses. Um, not sure when we're going to do the next podcast. Maybe later this week. Maybe next week. Uh, any parting thoughts? ideas points to ponder well friday friday is fatima day so um oh don't forget um i we are doing the matthew seventeen twenty um initiative which is full fasting on tuesdays and fridays um for the um for the resolution of the bergoglio situation and of course in my mind that intention is that bergoglio's anti-papacy be publicly acknowledged that he be removed that the entire anti-papacy be nullified that bergoglio repent revert to catholicism die in a state of grace at some point in the future and in the future achieve the beatific vision um but in general, if you would like to modify that based upon where you are in your uh, in your journey in terms of the Bergoglio situation, by all means, uh, full fasting on Tuesdays and Fridays. And then, of course, um, it is very, very strongly urged that this coming Friday, the 100th anniversary, of course, of of Fatima, that uh, that Christians fast on this day and you know, pray, pray the rosary, um, 
And there should be something going on on Friday, probably Friday evening at a lot of Latin mass parishes. The other thing to remember is take children, take children to pray. Um, because as I heard one priest say just the other day, the, the prayers, the prayers of the children are infallible. And so, um, please take your children to pray and um, we will <laughs> we'll see what happens on Friday and we will hopefully talk to everybody next week. And we'll be here in one, one well, we probably will be here. Uh, there are plenty of touch points around the globe where things could go off if, if something is going to happen on the anniversary of Fatima. But honestly, if, it, if something is going to be directly tied to Fatima, I don't think it's going to be something as simple as, as Korea doing something. I, I think it's going to be more like uh, Yellowstone going off or something like that. But yeah, I'm, it's, it's going to be something. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, not worried about it at all. Oh, and, and reminders to everybody, if you possibly can go to confession this week and even make a general confession. If you can this week, it's a, it's just a good time to do it. Indeed. Until next time. I am super nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks guys. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>